Hardy, and welcome back to Oh God, It Hurts. Oh God, It Hurts. This is episode nine, and this is some trans-Pacific gaming chatter amongst two old friends. I, of course, am JJJ, a.k.a. the Six-Button Samurai. With me, as always, is Mr. Game Agent E.T., Mr. Eddie Tang. How you doing, Eddie? Doing good. Uh, had a little bit of gaming sessions uh, this week, but uh, yeah, uh, doing all right. It's like a, you know, par for the course type of week. How about you? Largely the same. Um, I was playing around with some new things that I'm excited to talk about a little bit later in the show. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, things are, uh, things are all right, you know, have, uh, still avoided getting, uh, COVID so far, knock on wood. Oh, same here. I'm completely surprised. Uh, I mean, nobody knows for sure unless you get tested every day, right? If you have it or not, but pretty much I have not shown any systems, uh, symptoms (laughs) (laughs) symptoms <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm sorry for my pronunciation i was gonna say i know you actually own a variety <laughs> of systems good sir oh but the, they're no way related to covid but good anyways yeah i mean i wear my mask all the time wash my hands social right. distance when i can and mm-hmm. yeah i think i've been very fortunate not to be sick and word i can imagine in america it's quite tough to avoid such yeah scenarios i I work in an office three days a week we're on kind of a hybrid thing right now yeah um but we also have like a relatively strict policy yeah in the building and as far as like if you show symptoms or come up positive like they basically hold you out for two weeks and um you know kind of grateful that they're on top of their game but uh all that aside, yeah. um, <laughs> let's, uh, there's a lot to talk about this week, so we best uh, jump on in and uh, grab ourselves a cold, cold cup at the water cooler. Yes, sir. Mm. Gonna drink a lot from this one. We're gonna drink from the well. Yeah. So, our very first topic, and it's pretty much been the dominant topic of conversation since it was announced nine days ago or so that uh microsoft has purchased activision blizzard um for something near 70 billion dollars it may Um, be higher than that i don't know but yeah it's yeah crazy uh i don't know if it's been finalized but it seems like a done deal i think it's one of those things where like um there is some speculation that the ftc may give this one a hard time or may not, um, but you know the understanding is that Microsoft would not have announced it if they didn't feel relatively confident that it was going to go ahead. Yeah, I don't what's think your, they're going <laughs> to. I don't think it's going to be a problem. I'll, yeah, I, I can explain why. Sure. Uh, so, uh, what's your initial take on this, my friend? Pretty shocked. Came out of left field. Uh, we all knew that Activision Blizzard. And their embattled CEO have been through a lot with a lot of the uh, accusations and all the reports on uh, how their work culture 
was pretty bad. So right. Um, out of all the people that could buy them out, Microsoft was definitely on the top of their list because of the amount, sheer amount of money that they can throw at things. And I mean, the fact that I'm pretty sure that the current CEO at Activision Blizzard, once the takeover is complete, he's already been confirmed that they're not going to answer to him once the merger is complete. Mm -hmm. But Microsoft is one of those few companies where they can offer that golden parachute for him to bugger off. Right. (laughs) So he's going to gladly take it compared to going down with the ship. Mm -hmm. So I think it was a necessary evil. If you want to get this company, which could bring you a lot of money, you're going to have to put up with this guy for a little bit longer until the merger happens, send him some money, see him off. And right. Comparatively, it's probably small change compared to what you can potentially make over the years. So, yeah, I mean, it's a strange thing to think about because Blizzard had like a very, very specific and, you know, widely beloved legacy before they were acquired by Activision. Yeah. And a lot of people feel as if the very regimented mindset for production at Activision kind of watered down the overall, like the overall high watermark for creativity that people expect from Blizzard titles sort of went a little bit by the wayside. Um, Most definitely during this period in which Activision has owned them, um, you know, Blizzard, it's famous for having some of the most beloved games, particularly on the PC with Diablo, Warcraft, Starcraft. Um, I have a few friends that are like super duper lifelong Blizzard heads. Like, you know, they were teenagers when the original Diablo titles came out and they spent an insane amount of time investing themselves in that world. Um, so it's a little bit strange to think about because, you know, Activision brought a lot of specific things to the table and they of course also have a very deep catalog. If you run all the way back to their titles on the Atari 2600, I mean, it's interesting to think of them being a part of a company that manufactures hardware now because Activision was actually the original third party company. Um, Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, originally they were a group of Atari 2600 programmers that broke away because they wanted to earn more on the titles they made, and they pretty quickly established a reputation for quality with a lot of games like Kaboom, River Raid, Spider Fighter, you know, Pitfall, of course, was like the really big hit that everybody remembers from the Atari 2600. Yeah, most definitely. you know, and that was part of the announcement too, or subsequent interviews is uh, Phil Spencer basically said he'd love to see a lot of revived Activision, like titles from their classic catalog sort of brought into modern form. So yeah. I don't know. It's, I think this is a very complex knot for gamers to chew on. Um, 
you know, there could be a lot of really great and interesting things that come out of it. Yet mm. at the same time, there is this rising tide of corporate consolidation that is a little bit worrisome when you think that one console manufacturer has acquired this many studios, you know, and and what does yeah. that mean for the the industry overall? Especially in Japan, because right. in Japan, uh, those type of mergers, they don't happen nearly as often. Mm-hmm. And not only that, um, it's not like uh, a lot of people think of this as, oh, hey, if Microsoft can buy this third party company, hey, why don't they buy this one too? And this one and this one, like it's some sort of shopping frenzy but that's not how things work in the video Mm -hmm. game industry especially when you're dealing with uh companies that are cross continental i guess uh overseas uh it would be a lot more it'd be a lot more of a stretch if you would have someone like microsoft buy someone like square enix or capcom or sega because Mm -hmm. I really doubt that a Japanese company would let themselves themselves be absorbed by a outside uh, a company outside of Japan because the cultural differences. I think right. it's a much more traditional atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So if they were going to get absorbed, if they really needed some financial help, they would mm-hmm. rather do that with a company in japan like say sony right then hope that microsoft absorbs them so yeah. not only that just in general any company wants their autonomy they don't want to I don't know why out. you're you're discussing the japanese outlook on being acquired by a large western company for yeah. some reason i got the image of tom Selleck and mr baseball oh yeah in my head <laughs> I gotta watch that movie again. <laughs> but I haven't seen it in a very long time. The thing is, like, you know, there was a very sort of pervasive anti-Japanese sentiment in the US in the nineteen eighties. Like, yeah. There were a lot of headlines and media stories about like, oh my god, the Japanese are so rich and they're buying everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And of course that wasn't entirely true. Like if you check statistics from that era, like the UK and a couple other countries were like consistently ahead of Japan in terms of like plunking down money and investing here. But, you know, there was definitely a, a strong kernel of xenophobia in that. And, yeah, um, it could you know, be. there's, <laughs> there were a number of movies at the time that sort of reflected that. And like Mr. Baseball was one of them. Yeah. There's another one with Michael Keaton that I can't remember what the hell it was called. It was about like a fa- like a car factory. Yeah, I, it's off the tip out. of my tongue. I've never watched right. that movie, but I know what you're it's referencing. It's like a really punchy like two-word title. I can't remember what the hell it was. Yeah. I you're, guess we'll... you're pretty dead on in that. Yeah, it would be a very strange thing culturally for you know, a lot of these longtime Japanese companies to be bought by a Western company and just sort of brought yeah. into the fold. Like that would be very, very strange because there's 
very different set of values at work there. And uh, yeah, that's why I think yeah. it's a wet dream, to be honest, right. because yeah. it would be uncomfortable for the Japanese company to go through that and change their customs. And I mean, some kind of want to be global, more global. Right. I think Capcom and Square Enix are some of those companies that want to have a global mindset. But in terms of it internally running their company, right. do they honestly want to do that? I don't think so. I think right. they want to keep it the way they've been doing it for years. If it ain't mm -hmm. broke, don't fix it, right? And right. as mentioned before, some of these companies, like well, especially Capcom, they're doing pretty well. Uh, Sega, yeah. we'll talk more about them later, but they're not, uh, uh, you know, hard on money right now. They're doing no. I mean, uh, arguably, they enjoy a better profile than they have in some time, considering the success of the Yakuza games, yeah. um, the atlas titles that they bring out certainly have like a consistent niche following yeah you know they're not blockbuster games but you know they've got a very strong loyal audience that buys a lot of those releases on a regular basis exactly so, so i don't if, uh, see them going anywhere right yeah no i mean uh, that's the thing with this story is like the immediate hot take you know there were so many people who were just like Rawr, the console wars are over now and it's just like <laughs> no okay. far from or, there, or you had you know riled up sony fanboys that were just like sony should now buy capcom and square and all yeah. these other companies and just form like a super company and it's just like that, yeah Ugh. but <laughs> i mean but they have to be careful though because it could end up going that way if things get tense and sony does feel pressure <laughs> from the public and starts actually making concerted efforts to buy third parties which would be against well, their I mean, thoughts but we'll we'll see hopefully they don't resort to that there are some of those some of those moves would actually make a lot more sense than others yeah i mean frankly like Namco and Sony have had such a close relationship for a long time that yeah. it's not that difficult to imagine them going like, yo, Bandai Namco, let's uh let's do a thing. You know what I mean? Same with Square Enix. They already have done that with the current Final Fantasy that's in development. That's only right. going to be out in PlayStation 5 probably right. for a limited time. Right. But They've always had those sweetheart type of uh, agreements where they'll say, okay, for a, a window of time, you can have this game yeah. on PlayStation until we release it on other game, uh, game systems or formats. But other yeah. times you see exclusives as well, like uh, case in point, uh, Street Fighter V was uh, only on PlayStation and uh, eventually on PC, I think. So Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I I kind of go back and forth on like the the thought of this entire thing, you know, drifting towards monopoly because yeah, while it's, I think a lot of this is a reflection of just how expensive it is now to develop for the current generation systems. I mean, yeah. 
if you want to do something that really takes advantage of all those features on those consoles, you're talking about a lot of money and a very large staff to crank out the average AAA title. Um, yeah. Yet at the same time, like, I know I myself as somebody who, you know, I own a Series X and I play some games on that, but I'm also quite the consumer retro things. Like, there's a fairly robust, self-contained cottage industry with that. And there's also an enormous spate of indie developers that bring out games on all the platforms and Steam. Yeah. And really don't see that going away anytime soon. I don't know. Like, I I feel like there's always a sort of, like, the financials of it are a little bit scary in terms of market control, yet at the same time, when you have all these companies that are getting so big, that tends to foster an environment where, you know, smaller developers are still going to do their thing, and they're still going to be the place where those bigger companies go fishing for talent. Yeah. So I don't know, like uh, as usual, like it was just the flurry of hot takes and initial reactions. I was just like, Oh God, shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but to, to be honest, uh, my opinion, what Microsoft is doing, mm-hmm. it's actually a little bit more scary than a monopoly. Yeah. Because if you think about it, who's their CEO right now? It's uh, Satya Nadella, right? Right. And before him, there was Steve Ballmer and before him, Bill Gates. Right. And uh, a lot of people bring up a pie analogy where it's like when Bill Gates or Steve, Steve Ballmer ran the show, they always talked about, no, kind of like, oh, this is my pie. No other pies exist. You want mm-hmm. to buy only our pie, right? right. But now with uh, Satya uh, Nadella, him uh, being in CEO, uh, his thought is, I want a piece of the pie from everything. Right. So that's why you see Microsoft Office on iOS and mm-hmm. Macintosh systems. And then right. you see... Uh, Microsoft working with companies like Amazon with Alexa. You see them working with Red Hat for open source. Mm -hmm. And so many more partnerships. So I see this as the same thing with games, you know, because just because they bought Activision Blizzard doesn't mean you're not going to see Call of Duty anymore. They actually want to bring Call of Duty still to Sony because that's how you make more money. Right. You put it's, it it's, on it's, your system and their system. It's more profitable to offer the service. Yep. Rather than the licensed piece of hardware or the licensed software that ships with a piece of hardware mm-hmm. as was the way they came up, you know. And that's why it's craft, it's crafty, but yeah. at the same time They'll put some things for uh, Microsoft Xbox owners or PC owners to sweeten the pot to go on their side. Like, say, oh, Call of Duty, you can only get on Xbox Game Pass. You can't get it on Sony's future Game Pass. We're not going to allow that. And maybe they'll have exclusive DLC 
And then uh, maybe some new IP that comes out from Blizzard or Activision will be Sony only. Like, uh, for example, Bethesda, they have that upcoming game called Starfield, which is supposed to be like Skyrim, but in space. Right. That's only going to be on Xbox systems. Right. So who's to say that that trend will not continue with Activision and Blizzard? So the popular titles, yeah, they'll still be on other systems. But hey, you want to come to Xbox uh, and get the cool new IPs? You're going to have to buy right. a Series X or a Series S. Yeah. Right. So- and that was arguably the most carefully worded element of phil's like post acquisition news interviews is where he was like you're still gonna get call of duty on playstation like they're gonna honor those commitments yep but the unsaid part of that is essentially exactly what you just said that yeah they're gonna begin to figure out all kinds of ways to make the xbox platform look like a better investment based on things that they will pull from activision blizzard but that's so, business. They yep. want to entice you to buy their system. So, but at the same time, it's like, I mean, I own an iPad, and I use Microsoft Office on it, along with uh, Office on my Windows laptop. And of course, the iOS version doesn't have all the features. Right. So, <laughs> it's like saying to you, okay, well, yeah, you can use the bare bones version on your ipad or yeah it's gonna have a few features missing but hey we got everything if you buy a windows pc mm-hmm. there you go so yep that's the mentality yes indeed yeah hey eddie yo do you know who thinks you're stupid <laughs> wow <laughs> I, ubisoft I... <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> The feelings talk, mutual. Talk you you brought this up, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk about the NFT, son. Oh well, <laughs> there was an article recently where uh, I don't have the exact information who said it, but it was someone from Ubisoft that was. Mm-hmm. It's all over the the news sites mm-hmm. right now, saying that this guy from Ubisoft. He says, we don't understand why we need NFTs. We do need them. And we right. keep shunning them. Right. And, and he, he says, you know, we're, we don't know what we're missing. You're just too dumb to know what's good for you, Ed. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> geez. I'm sorry. I, I don't even have the game that you have <laughs> NFTs to push on in the first place. Right. Not a Ghost Recon Flashpoint guy. Right. But even if I did have it, um, I have I I had to read multiple articles just to understand what the hell you're doing with NFTs. Right. <laughs> At first, I mean, uh, it... yeah, I thought they were selling it uh, items. Uh, I think in a previous podcast that we mentioned uh, Ubisoft and their NFTs, I thought they were selling it, but they're actually distributing it if you play for a certain amount of hours and Mm -hmm. then you can sell these items blah 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 but the fact that it wasn't even very clear to begin with it's like i don't know what do you expect 
if you're not okay if you want to sell something you got to be a good salesman you got to tell me why i need it and not say oh you don't understand you're too dumb to understand sorry right that's not the way to sell things tell me why it benefits me clearly not some i mean that's just salesmanship 101 like if you can't explain to me why I need this, I probably don't. Exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then you turn around and say, well, you don't know. You don't know anything. You're just you. dumb. Yeah. All of you are dumb. <laughs> all of you, all of you are Philistines. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. No, I mean, here's the thing. Like, <sighs> NFTs are this very strange thing. And it seems like some people have just dug into it really, really hard. Like, no, man, you don't get it. This is the future. Like, you're either with this or we're just going to leave you in the dust when we make our billions of dollars apiece. You know what I mean? And considering whom that's coming from, that's why the whole thing kind of has the aura of snake oil. Most I mean, it's, it's, it's a complex issue. And like... I love the idea that there could be this other way for artists to get paid or make money based on creating these things. Like I understand that. And like on principle, I think that's a pretty cool idea, but there's a lot of concern about these things being tied to the blockchain, what that means for the environmental concerns surrounding all of that. And in a realm, you know, particularly in a moment where, you know, we've had microtransactions now since Xbox Live for 20 years. And it's already a very strange landscape where, like, some companies remain really committed to, like, delivering you a full, comprehensive, excellent gaming experience for your 50 or 60 bucks. A lot of other companies, particularly those that make fighting games now, they've really leaned into the seasonal thing. Like, you buy a game, it's basically the starter kit, and then there's going to be X number of season passes you're going to have to buy as that product evolves and adds characters. And the thing is, with the fighting genre in particular, like, that's essentially what we were doing anyway. If you had a Super NES, you bought the original SF2 and then what was it? Nine months to a year later, you bought SF2 Turbo. Yep. And that was functionally the same thing. So I can understand why for fighting games, that model is attractive. And it makes sense. Like, if you just like the core game, the original characters, you don't have to mess with the entire rest of the roster if you don't want to. If you want to the buy that costume. If you're com- right. The odds are if you're competitive, like, you're going to want all of that and most people that are really into one game do, but then you have the extremes that like Tecmo took it to with their dead or alive games. Oh yeah. That can cost hundreds of dollars to get Uh all the costumes, (laughs) but Hey, it doesn't change the gameplay one bit. So, and at the same time they are putting effort. So you're not required to pay for it, but if you want to support them or if you really want that, string bikini then yeah right. have at it but can you say the word string bikini again ed <laughs> why 
because I found it funny. <laughs> is it like that time you told me to say Kentia Hall from yes, E3? It is like the time I told of... you to say Kentia Hall multiple times. <laughs> I think I say that perfectly fine, and you keep making you keep mocking me for that. I don't understand why. <laughs> I went to speech class when I was young. I I, I improved. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I had a problem with a lisp when I was a kid, and I had to. Yeah, I had to see a speech therapist and work on my letter S. Really? Uh, for oh, yeah. me, uh, I remember going to speech class when I was in first grade, and I had no idea why. Mm. <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, back to NFTs. Yeah, I think yeah. in general, you need to have a game plan that makes sense to all of us in order right. for us to buy in on it otherwise right we're not gonna jump in on it because all i can see for right now i mean nfts in general like we've been saying it's it doesn't have a great image how are you going to mm -hmm. make that image better first of all right and number two how are you going to make it so that if you introduce nfts and gaming it makes complete sense and it's not something that feels like it's been thrown in just because mm -hmm. it's a buzzword or it's something that techies say that it's the wave of the future blah 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 you don't put a square peg in a round hole right that's as simple as that so yeah but no man they've just gotta do a much better job at either they either need to explain the benefit of these things yeah, or if that doesn't really exist, then they need to actually work on having these things have some benefit for the player that exactly. justifies it, its existence. So because a lot of us aren't in it to make money. Some right. people are, but some people couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't care less. So right, and I mean, the, back to what us? we were just talking about, like the old days of Diablo. I mean, that was a very fertile secondhand in-game items economy. Oh yeah, you know, like people <clears throat> made a lot of money, you know, farming shit in those games, and they continue to do that. And um, yeah, World of Warcraft. I heard people selling their accounts after right. building up their character to godlike levels, and then uh huh. If you ever heard of Eve Online, yeah. oh my god, the prices of ships that real world money. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Yeah. But in terms of NFTs, mm -hmm. you gotta do something that puts worth into that. So Yeah. Uh so I don't know. Like I'm gonna continue to just sort of sit on the fence with that one in terms of like a <clears> final <throat> verdict. Like Yeah. I don't necessarily think that nfts are evil or the worst thing ever but so far it's just like well it's annoyingly talked about yeah <laughs> i think we can all agree that and but, yeah they just someone needs to demonstrate why this is such an interesting or compelling or you know game-changing thing because so far yeah you know there's very few people that have actually blown a lot of money on these things so far and thus far it seems like those are the same people that are trying to seed the entire thing yeah i mean <laughs> and it's obvious because they want to make money so right they'll do anything to get that extra dollar but mm -hmm. i just want to say 
um, it, it can be become pretty big if they did something like, uh, you know, Japan is into a lot of these gacha games, right? Where it's like a random pull type of thing. You like if you ever play Fire Emblem, uh, I'm sorry, Fire Emblem Heroes mm-hmm. on your iPhone or Android device and right. you get these random characters and some of these characters you really, really want, things like that. If they did something like that, especially in Japan, it would probably take off, but they would have to market it right. And number uh, number two would be uh, the fact that I don't know about the rest of the world, but Japan is not really into cryptocurrency right now. So mm-hmm. to be able to kind of put that forward is going to be a huge task. Uh, as I mentioned before, Japan's very traditional in a lot of things. They're very, it's very set, like the ways right. of things that are going around nowadays. It's really, really hard to change tradition here. Living here for 15 years, yeah. It's going to take a monumental effort to do that. So, but yeah, um, good luck to them. But uh, NFTs in general, I mean, if you're an artist, uh, I, I am an artist on my spare time. Jeez, NFTs are terrible because you see a lot of people ripping off other people's artwork and trying to sell them right online as NFTs. And mm-hmm. I don't see that as uh, it's just a huge mark on the system in general that I don't think anyone's ever going to be on board with, to be honest. I know you're saying you're going to wait and see, but I think in general, I think it's too much of a dishonest type of system to be able to really put any faith in it. And I know that gaming would be different. Because it's a little bit more controlled. It's not like you can steal a lot of assets from games. Oh, right. But they could always prove me wrong. But in general, I don't think the outlook of NFTs is very appealing right now because yeah. of the ethics involved. So, right. Yeah. And of course, last but not least on our list of water cooler items. Yeah. <sighs> Sega has formally exited the arcade business. Yeah. Now, this is one of those interesting things where, like, the seed for it, and I'll let you explain it, the other company that's involved in this mm-hmm. had essentially had a very large stake in these places for a long time going. Yeah. However, this is Sega basically going, all right, we're 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 done with this. We're taking our name off of these centers. You know, that phase of it is over. Yeah. And I, I, I can explain how much of a huge impact this is on Japan because mm-hmm. of the fact that I'm pretty sure, I mean, I don't have the figures, but from personal experience, Sega had the most game centers around Japan in every place. Mm-hmm. I mean... When I first got to Japan, this will be like a little backstory on me, but I came to Japan as a part of the JET program, which is a a exchange, teaching exchange program where you teach English. Uh, 
and in exchange you get to experience Japanese culture and I decided to do this because I wanted a change in my life I was getting tired of doing a lot of dead-end jobs and I wanted to do something that was worthwhile and uh, can be put towards something a, a good cause basically so I decided on mm -hmm. teaching English so uh, I don't know if they still do this now but um, every orientation that they have every year is at the Keio Plaza Hotel in Shinjuku. And when I first got to Japan, um, the first day I was able to explore outside my hotel, a couple blocks outside of the hotel was a Sega arcade. It was Club Sega's Shinjuku. And that was pretty much my first experience with the Japanese game center. And it was, it blew my mind away compared to like, uh, you know, the other arcades I've seen in America. This was definitely very different, a very, very different atmosphere. I loved the games. I loved the, uh, crane games. The, the, I think this one had a, a few, uh, pretty good selection of vintage fighting games, things like that. I heard they actually fixed their machines. Yeah. That too. <laughs> they have actual techs that work the whole time. And, yeah <laughs> and then uh i uh exactly um i moved to fukui uh after living uh most of my life in america i moved to fukui to teach english uh for the jet program for five years and there were no uh taito stations back then i think they started popping up later and i don't think there's a taito station in fukui but there were two Sega arcades in the middle of nowhere. This is countryside. This is not like a completely developed area like Osaka or Tokyo. This is basically rice fields and mountains. And they had two Sega arcades. Right. And other places I visited, I've always been able to find a Sega arcade. Whereas compared to Taito or Namco, Taito, they're, they're you know increasing the numbers but with covid who knows i mean that may stagnate very soon and then namco does not have nearly the amount of presence that the other two companies i just mentioned have in japan so um then you have a lot of mom and pop locally owned game centers and that's it and yeah i mean with sega pulling out it's a huge deal because that's a sign that even Sega is saying, yeah, we don't see this getting any better. And game centers around the world are disappearing. And right. the last place that had game centers and they were still relevant is Japan. Mm -hmm. So if they end up going the way of the Dodo here, of uh, the game center in Japan, man, that's going to change a lot of the landscape because a lot of the things that you can experience only in game centers that you can't experience at home uh you're not going to be able to do anymore if yeah. they do dry up yeah so it's a little scary yep but yeah it's definitely just it feels like one more nail in that coffin and a fairly profound one to boot so yeah and yeah. you, you've been in Japan before, so yeah. 
what was your experience with game centers, especially Sega ones? I mean, they were wonderful, <laughs> you know? I mean, it was, you know, ever since I got turned on to import gaming, you know, in the very early 1990s, you know, the first imports I bought were for the Mega Drive. Mm-hmm. And then I imported a Super Famicom console. And, you know, I kept dipping into that from there. And I had long heard, oh, Japan has these amazing arcades. And, you know, it was a lifelong dream to go and experience those things when I did, when I studied abroad back in 2008. And, yeah, I mean, they were every bit as cool as I had hoped for. Um, So, yeah, it's really concerning because even after i came back home i was like well yeah i don't have arcades here that i can go to anymore but at least across the pond like they still exist in their best form and you know now that's not a that's not a certainty anymore so yeah and it's sad i live next to uh i live near sega avion uh which is probably one of the biggest arcades in osaka Right, and I'm probably gonna visit there before they change the name to Gigo because uh, they have just changed the brand, the Sega arcades in Akihabara and a few other Tokyo uh, arcade centers. They're changing the yeah. name already, but it's going to be a nationwide change very soon. So this will they're be... probably hitting all the flagship ones first, right? Yeah, 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 but. Yeah, it's going to be hard to see how it's going to look with the new branding without, I mean, Sonic was kind of a big thing with uh, the Sega arcades. They always had it on their bags when you win prizes from the Crane crane games. They always had Mm -hmm. the Sonic persona emblazoned on them. And you also got those uh, Taiyakis. It's like a... It's like a suite that it's kind of like uh, really nice. It has like a filling inside and it's kind of like a, I, I don't know how to ex- describe it, but it's delicious. Uh, it's a, yeah. it's a popular Japanese suite. They had a Sega branded uh, uh, Taiyaki at some of the Tokyo stores, like uh, one with the Sega logo. And I think there were some other ones with Sonic characters, but yeah, they're not going to have those anymore. And who knows? Because I mean, who knows what's going to happen to those arcades? Because um, Gigo is kind of a rental service, mm-hmm. so who knows what they have in store for these arcades once right. it becomes final? Like all of them are changed to Gigo arcades. The company name is Genda, mm-hmm. so they could easily say, "Oh, well, we're just going to turn these into other types of amusement." center right maybe a karaoke yeah it could wind up more karaoke or redemption or club heavy yeah (laughs) because that's how it's been going i i mentioned earlier in a previous podcast that there's a lot more print club machines and crane games than arcade games nowadays because of just in general lack of titles right and also the bigger risk of putting out titles in arcades due to low traffic, especially with COVID. 
So, right. And I think in general that will really affect just gaming in general because if you're going to funnel more towards uh, home gaming, there's going to be a lot of things that you won't be able to do anymore that require like a more exquisite type of arcade cabinet build. Like if you ever played, like I, like I said, the, the game that looks like a washing machine, my, my, mm-hmm. or the other innovative games that use uh motion controls. I mean, you have connect. Yeah. But I mean, it's a lot different when you're in the arcade and you have a full sound system. And yeah, it's not the same as to... when you've got a cabinet with dedicated controls for yeah. one specific thing. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a long, long list of games that were yeah. really excellent arcade games and sure they got ported to the home, but like, yeah, there's still an aspect of that that's missing. And you yeah. know, now that entire, that entire mindset may just be, you know, going by the wayside. Just yeah. A drag. Because I mean, that's how it kind of started. We talked about Yu Suzuki and all his, uh, different, uh, types of cabinets that he had for afterburner and hang on that kind of revolutionized how we play video games. Mm-hmm. Imagine that if we don't have those same experiences anymore in the arcades because they're now gone and we're only restricted right. to what we can afford at home. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit more limiting in terms of what we can experience in video for games. Sure. So yeah, it's scary. But we'll, nah. hope, we'll hope that Gigo doesn't kind of turn things into just warehouses or karaoke bars you know right for sure yeah so our next segment is now playing and i myself have been spending a lot of time um with the playstation core on the mr um this has been in development for a little while now, but the amount of progress that this core is making is pretty shocking. And yeah. an even more important development for it. Um, for a long time, the early version of this core that runs on Mr. It required you to have two sticks of RAM. And... The thing is, most people that have a Mr., they probably got it configured with one stick of RAM, and that's, you know, anywhere from like 32 to 128 megabytes. There aren't that many cores that need the full 128 megabytes for all of their titles. The Neo Geo is actually one of them, though. There's a couple of late Neo Geo titles that need that much RAM to run. And so we'd all been watching the PlayStation Core and we'd sort of been hoping, well, maybe this unbelievable developer, his name is Robert Pipe, um, maybe he can get that core to a point where it'll finally just run off of one stick of RAM. And so he'd actually done that, and he finally got the sound processor unit running. So that was kind of the, oh my God, let's all check this out signal that a lot of people had been waiting for to actually download the early version of it and give it a try for themselves and that's amazing you know yeah i mean it's it's far from complete yet like it can't do cdxa yet what's cdxa 
CDXA is like a specific way of streaming audio data and other things direct from the disc, Mm -hmm. which a lot of PlayStation titles use. Um, So, for example, I can run Ridge Racer right now. Ridge Racer! Yay! Um, (laughs) But, like, there's no music yet. Because that, those songs actually... I think those are Redbook tracks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was going to say, is that Redbook audio? Yeah. Okay. I know Redbook audio. Right. So, um, but at the same time, like, it's really cool to see this thing actually running the way it should. And it's already really impressive in terms of, like, what it can do. So... I've been taking a little trip down memory lane with some old PlayStation titles. Um, I was playing some Final Fantasy Tactics today, which is yeah. You showed me a yeah. I think you showed mm-hmm. me a video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, it's really awesome to see that coming along. Um, the Saturn Core is also in development from another guy. I believe he's a Russian developer that's working on that. And that one's not nearly as far along yet. And that's likely due to what a complex piece of hardware the Saturn is. Um, Even, I mean, even proper like PC emulation of the Saturn has been with us for a much shorter time than emulation of PlayStation games. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. But, so no, that's been uh, that's been kind of my obsession um, as of this past week or yeah. two. Um, what and, have you been playing? Well, I was gonna say I really want a Mister, but I definitely <laughs> will wait a couple more years because it sounds like uh, the RAM issues. Uh, I definitely want to wait until uh, things kind of settle down with the uh, supply chain so that right. I can afford one that has a high amount of ram so i can hopefully play playstation and saturn games as well but yeah that sounds super exciting i'm just glad that somebody has made this thing so we can enjoy lag free input lag free gaming hopefully yeah across the board i mean there's a lot of someones and that's what makes it really exciting it's just yeah what a huge underground community is you know, constantly revising different cores or like the developer Hotego, who yeah. is the guy that made the CPS one and two cores and is right now working on a lot of Sega 16 stuff. Like he's the one that got golden ax and E SWAT. Yeah. That, sound, like that, that sounds pretty sweet. Um, but he's also the one working on a Neo Geo pocket core as well. So yeah, that would be cool as well. Um, I really appreciate those guys. I'm sure a lot of people do because yeah. this is like MAME all over again back in the day. Yeah. So I, I think no, it's a, it's before. a, it's a absolute pleasure to send those guys a few bucks a month on Patreon to do that kind of thing. Oh. Cause yeah, their work is definitely. phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Preserves gaming too. What we should always Indeed. do. Yep. Um, for me, uh, I have been still playing uh, my standbys, which is Pac-Man 99. I play that maybe three times a week. Uh, Centipede Mm -hmm. Recharged, I've been uh, playing that a little less often, but I still play it once in a while. But 
Uh, as of this week, uh, I got a new high score. I am ranked 16th in the world on Nintendo Switch. Yay. Nice. So, and what game? Centipede Recharged. Nice. Yeah. I found a few exploits. So that's why my high <laughs> score is so high. <laughs> hey, it's whatever works, skill. man. It's not my skill. Yeah. I'm not that great of a gamer, but yeah, I found a few ways to kind of gain some points. So yeah. <laughs> awesome. I won't share. I won't share because <laughs> I want to keep that high score. But anyway, um, I think the only game I've had like a semblance of any sort of high ranking in, I was yeah in the top twenty on t- on the uh, arcade archives time pilot for Switch. You should keep Switch. doing that, man, because that I love that game. I know. I would <laughs> do it if I was that good at time pilot. I mean, I've seen you play it a couple times, and yeah, I I would make it. Like not, I wouldn't obsess over it, but I I would feel yeah. like oh if I have free time yeah let's just relax see if I get a high score if not you know at least I can relax that's how I do it with Centipede and how I do it with Pac Man Pac Man right. ninety nine there's no way I'm gonna get number one because people that play that game they already have two thousand wins plus and I only have like less than seventy right. <laughs> And I'm not going to play I mean, that game. It's the thing with a lot of these that. online games. It's like, if you're not in on the ground floor, yeah, like it's going to be very tough sledding to, exactly. to ascend particularly high. So yeah. at a certain point, you have to just decide to enjoy the damn thing. Exactly. So games like Pac-Man 99 or Street Fighter V, just go with your own level. Go with your own pace. <laughs> but with a game like Centipede Recharged, hey, you know, or Time Pilot on Arcade Archives, hey. You might surprise yourself. Maybe you'll be top 10 one day and kind of bask in that glory. Be a little proud, you know? So For sure. But yeah, um, I got Card Fighters Clash, the SNK versus Capcom Neo Geo Pocket color game that was just recently brought out on Nintendo Switch through the uh, Neo Geo Pocket color art um, selection. Not mm-hmm. archives, selection. Uh, yeah, I bought that to support SNK. Uh, I haven't had time to play it yet because I feel like if I start playing that game, I'm going to need a lot of dedicated time to play it nonstop. So that's why I'm kind of holding off on that until later. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been playing uh, games like Hopping Mappy, which came mm-hmm. out on Arcade Archives, uh, I think in the past week or so. Yeah. If you think about Qbert, but not in isometric form it's like going up down left right Mm -hmm. that's pretty much what hopping mappy is and it's okay it's worth it's worth the play but Mm -hmm. the original mappy is a lot more fun i think so yeah mappy's mappy's another one of those ridiculous timeless namco things yeah i I love i love the character but yeah i i've never seen hoppy mappy before in arcades, right. in a compilation, nowhere. So that's why I had to buy it. And I'm glad nice. I got it. So, but yeah. I'll play it a little bit more. But for sure. Yeah. And Windjammers, too. Yeah. That game is really fun. <laughs> it's really, really got a curve, though, in terms yeah. of <laughs> speaking of curves, uh, you know, Windjammers throw curves yeah. with the disc. But anyway, you do. Yeah. But it's, fun to play but hard to master because of all the techniques that if you want to play at a higher level 
yeah right. it takes some finesse to get all the advanced techniques so i want to get there yeah definitely but um awesome. right now i'm just just a tadpole just kind of <laughs> getting my sea legs until right uh i can play decently and yeah we'll see what happens uh i did last thing i want to say i i made a new year's resolution for gaming mm-hmm. yeah. i promised myself from now until the end of the year every month i'll i'm gonna beat a game so okay. see the ending basically and it should cool. be on at least default settings okay i was gonna do that yesterday after work but unfortunately i had a pretty bad headache so i could mm-hmm. not do it but i'll let you know next next uh podcast which game i beat for january awesome yeah but i will That's, have uh, a day and a half to do that from now because it's Janu- say you better get on it at this point yeah it's january 30th <laughs> right now by the time you hear this yeah hopefully i already beaten it but yeah i'll let you know excellent so right now we're gonna break to let you in on some important news about other shows doing their thing right here on the ruminations radio network you should definitely check them out and we're gonna give them a moment now What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. You're back. And we're bigger we than a bread. Ca- we're bigger than a bread basket. Right. <laughs> Have you ever played <laughs> Sam and Max Hit the Road? Point and click uh, game on PC? Uh-uh. That was one of the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I love point and click games, if you didn't know. So <laughs> give that game a try if you ever could. Abandonware.com, I think. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways. Nice. Yes. So now, last but not least, we are going to jump into our big question segment. And obviously, with all of these news about Sega getting out of business, Microsoft gobbling up Activision Blizzard, it seems like things have been very business-centric. So with that in mind, we have the following question. You're a bazillionaire investor. Yay! You have a penchant for... No, congrats. Congrats on your uh, bazillionairehood. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> I, i'm more bazillionaire than bezos nice yeah. <laughs> but anyways <laughs> yeah so you have a pension for small bygone developers whom do you resurrect and why oh so man. i want you to answer first okay if you could bring back a small game developer whom you loved from another time yeah who would it be well, I was torn between uh, two companies when you mentioned this to me on the notes. Um, really, I really would like Culture Brain. Really? Because if you ever played a game called Flying Warriors or Flying Dragon on the NES, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. also called Hiru no Ken. Uh, that series brought me a lot of joy. 
because nice. it's a fun fighting game with a pretty cool storyline. Um, basically, it also came out in the arcade. It was under the name Shanghai Kid, which I also played at a pizza place in the, I guess, uh, at a St. Mary's uh, uh, shopping, uh, not not shopping mall, but a supermarket. Do you know the one that used to have a Church's Fried Chicken? That yes, that block, yeah. Mm-hmm. They had that, and I played it. Yeah, it was only there one time. Like, uh, I I didn't go there often. Then I I played that over there. I loved it, and then I found out, hey, the NES game is related to that. So, yeah, the NES game, uh, basically, uh, the storyline is kind of uh, super superheroish like. And you fight a lot of enemies like in the ring or sometimes walking down uh, the street or whatnot. And some of the enemies are, I wouldn't say monsters, but if you think of it like uh, Power Rangers, where they turn into a different form mm-hmm. after you activate them somehow by kicking them in a certain part of their body, then they start to transform and try to and get superpowers and kick the crap out of you. That's what this game is, and I loved it back in the day. I would totally wish that if I had a lot of money, I would bring them back and have them bring that series <laughs> for selfish nice. reasons. Mm-hmm. But I think if I could do this responsibly, I would bring back Sunsoft. Ah. Because if you ever had an NES, they had so many good games like Blaster Master, Batman. Spy Hunter, Super Spy Hunter, and what else? They had uh, Gremlins 2, Fester's Quest, Journey to Silius or Silius. I don't know how to pronounce. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially a game called Gimmick. Right. Man, I wish I could play those games again. And yeah. nowadays, Sunsoft does practically nothing. Um, the last game they brought out was a game in 2018, and it was a Shanghai solitaire game for Nintendo Ouch. Switch. But they did uh, license their games to other companies recently, like, of course, the Blaster Masters Zero series, which I highly mm-hmm. recommend. That was right. uh, licensed out to Intercreates. They got a, they Do did we a know where of most of those folks come from? Intercreates? At Intercreates, yeah. I think Capcom because they did Mega Man Zero. Okay. And that's why the art style is very similar. See, that's the thing is when you talk, when you start getting into talking about these small developers, like Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that a lot of the guys that are creating things at M2, they definitely come from that cradle of small developers, particularly all the shooter games that we used to love. You know, if you're talking about like, Toa Plan, Technosoft, Compile. Like, yeah. those guys were all like extremely technically adept. And so they've landed at M2 and are naturals at sort of trying to create those really precise retro compilations that are, you know, done with a lot of love and care and really paying attention to the small details well, of how those games run. I'm just glad they exist because. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be playing Blaster Master nowadays, you know, right. besides yeah. the old game. But mm-hmm. there's another game that I really wish I could play. 
and it's called Gimmick Exact Mix. And that mm. is only on the EXA Arcadia board, which is very hard to come by, even in Jap- Japanese arcades. Because right. um, there are many, well, I wouldn't say many, but there's the Taito Type 2 board and Type 2X2 mm-hmm. that are out in arcades right now. And also the, uh, I think it's AllNet, the one that Sega works with. The one that yeah. runs a uh, Guilty Gear Strive and the new Virtual Fighter game, the mm-hmm. the remade version of it. EXA Arcadia is a board that is kind of rare, and the only way you can find it is if you go on their website and look at the locations that have this board, and yeah. they tell you exactly what games are on these boards. So wow. I looked up gimmick exact mix which is a remake of the original gimmick on famicom and it's widescreen looks beautiful and i heard it plays well but looking through the listings it only exists in less than 10 arcades and none of them are in my area which is in the osaka kobe and kyoto area you'd have to go to tokyo to play the new gimmick game it's not even in a, a any home system so yeah, wow. it, it, it I hope hurts. it ends up on. I hope it ends up more playable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's such a such a shame. Yeah, it looks like a beautiful game. It looks like it's a lot of fun, but you can only mm-hmm. play it in a handful, two handfuls of uh, arcades around Japan. And I don't know if they have any other boards outside of Japan. There may be, but yeah. I don't think you're going to be able to see any in America either, unless it's right. a very otaku like arcade that knows a lot about obscure games but yeah i would bring back sons off because i miss their games they were one of the best third-party developers back in the day and they kind of like culture brain kind of wavered off once uh we went from the 32-bit 16-bit to the 32-bit era and on so yeah right yeah. Well, on this particular issue, um, there's a lot of small developers that I used to love, mm-hmm. but really, at the end of the day, um, I have to go with Technosoft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thunder Force. I mean, yeah. Like, if you're not familiar with Technosoft, mm-hmm. um, Technosoft really made a name for themselves in particular on the Genesis slash Mega Drive hardware um, with the Thunder Force series. Um, you know, the, the, it's funny, the, the very first game was on a very obscure Japanese computer. Um, the second game was kind of this really interesting hybrid of an overhead shooter, like almost like, time pilot and it had side scrolling stages more like the 16 bit shooters that were common on the genesis but to me like the the thing that made their games great was not only like they were really really fast and they juggled a whole lot of sprites and they had just beautiful line scrolling artwork um but their penchant for making really fantastic music yeah, you know, with on a system that 
was largely derided for its sound quality, especially after the Super Nintendo came out. Like, if you listen to a lot of the music from those Technosoft games, like, they really worked miracles. And it was really about, like, how you composed for that hardware rather than, like, the hardware being bad. Because if you listen to any of the music from Technosoft games, you know, Herzog's Vi, Thunder Force 2 and 3, and 4, um, or Elemental Master, um, they were capable of doing little miracles with it. And it was a company that definitely sort of began to fade into obscurity. Like, they had some releases in the 32-bit era with Thunder Force 5, um, Blast Wind, and uh, Hyper Duel. But it was obvious that, like, a lot of the talent had sort of exited the building and they weren't quite what they used to be. And Mm. no, it's another uh, set of IP that Sega actually owns now. Um, Doesn't M2 work with them too? They do. And I have a feeling that a lot of that talent also wound up at M2. Um, It would make sense because technically they were sound, very, very sound. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me that former Technosoft developers were are now in m2 right we've seen a lot of those games wind up as re-releases on the sega ages series for switch and 3ds um yep so like but still like to me they just those games had such a really like definitive look and sound and feel that you know i really wish that somehow their vision for things had translated better as hardware got more powerful but unfortunately that just that wasn't to be but i mean at the time thunder force 4 dropped i mean it looked a lot more like a neo geo title than it did a genesis game because there was so much happening there was such you know an amazing use of really large freaking detailed sprites and just fantastic music so Technosoft would be mine. Yeah, I mean, I have a couple of their... Uh, I, I don't know if they're remastered or reissued or whatnot, but I have I have one on 3DS. The, I don't know which number that got re-released. I think it's but. Thunder Force 3 that's on the Sega 3D Archives Volume 3. Yeah, that's yeah. what I have. And mm-hmm. I really need to excavate my... Uh, 3ds that i haven't used in so long and play yeah. that game along with the 3d archives series on sega uh, yeah that's one of the reasons that i actually i want to sit back sit down sometime and actually go back and play the herzog's vi for sega ages because apparently it's oh, yeah. got like a brand new tutorial mode yeah i tried that it's out actually, it, it's pretty cool yeah, yeah i mean that's another game where like card fighters clash i know that once I play it, I'm going to need at least 50 hours that I can kill within a right. short period of time to play that game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, the tutorial is pretty cool. Um, awesome. And I have, from what I heard, I mean, that's the first RTS, right? Right. Even Dune, the the people who made Dune, the uh, RTS, and Command right. and Conquer, they copied that game. <laughs> uh-huh. And they, they, yeah. So, yeah, they were really, really like influential. Yeah. Nobody ever done that. They've never done a game like that. And yeah, 
that yeah. shows how special Technosoft is, and it's a shame that they're not out doing more great games like this. But yeah, keep saving that money. It's so just you can one buy of the, them. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, and you know, I'm sure wherever those people scattered off to, like, yeah, you know, they're still probably doing some incredible work. It's just not visible in the same way with that particular label and. That's a shame, but you know that seems to be the way of things. That that's why I appreciate Natsume Atari. Oh yeah, they're still around. They mm-hmm. made some great remakes. Uh, we mentioned them before. Still, very well, I think excited. this leads perfectly into talking about like what's next. Like, yeah. what are you looking forward to uh-huh. on the immediate horizon? Because I know for sure that um, Pocky and Rocky Reshrined. Top of the list, man. One of those games for you. (laughs) I am so excited, man. I mean, yeah, I have seen Kiki Kai Kai in game centers around Japan, and I played it a little bit. I'm not good at shooters, but I want to be better at this game. Um, Mm -hmm. and the Super Nintendo version of Pocky and Rocky, I never got to play, and unfortunately, it's not on the Nintendo Switch Online catalog. So right. all I have is the remastered Pocky and Rocky uh, Reshrined coming out in April to kind of fill that void. And I'm so excited to try it out, especially with the new characters they're adding. And right. yeah, I think any, I keep recommending any Natsume Atari games. People should buy these games. Wild Guns yep. Reloaded, uh, Ninja Saviors. Um, I think I'm missing both. One. Excellent, excellent, yeah, revival games. Like exactly, you know. Just think, you know, and imagine more people listening and probably actually played Sonic Mania. Yeah, and if you appreciate that and what those folks did with that game, like both that Ninja Saviors and Wild Guns Reloaded are that kind of quality in terms of a revival game. And a bigger plus is the original developers made that game, those games. Mm-hmm. So yep, they knew what they worked with back then, and they know how to form it into a much better experience now. Right. So, yeah, definitely. Anything else you're looking forward to in the next couple months? Definitely. Uh, if you heard of the mini consoles uh, with the Sega Astro City Mini, Mm-hmm. You probably have seen that in the wild or read articles about it. Um, Taito is making their own version of their coin op that was out in Japanese game centers called the Egret 2. Mm-hmm. They're making a mini version of that. And it comes with 50 games, I believe. And right. if you buy the deluxe set, which is, or pre-ordered the deluxe set, which is what I did, you are able to get other accessories with it, like, uh, for example, an arcade stick and also another controller that has a trackball and a dial so you can play games like Arkanoid. Hot. I know. And it has a <laughs> it has an SD card, too. And right. uh, this opens up a huge... It opens up huge potential things, like adding extra games. Like, they already have... 10 extra games that are going to be included with the deluxe version with the paddle 
and the trackball. So you can play games like Arkanoid and other uh, right. paddle slash uh, trackball based games. And they've been asking on Twitter, hey, what do you guys want on the egret? Because that means possibly either through download or buying other SD cards, you can add more games to this game game system. Right. And this is what other game systems should have done in the first place, the other mini game systems. Could right. you imagine like uh if you had like a mini NES or the Super NES Mini and they said, Oh well, you could go online and buy more games if you want. Heck yeah, right. wouldn't you do that instead of be stuck with the 40 games that are on board with it you know right so and yeah taito uh they also said hey even if it's not a taito game just ask for it it may take a lot longer but if it's good we'll try to bring it out maybe (laughs) so yeah it's beautiful man the other feature that i think is particularly awesome with the egret 2 mini is that one of the things that was a bit of a downer with the Astro City Mini was that yeah. it was only horizontally oriented. Yeah. So if you had a game that was vertically oriented, like Game it would Ground, just appear kind of squished down the middle. Yeah. But game- the Taito Egret 2 Mini screen actually rotates. Yep. Depending just on like, what kind of guy, game you're trying to play. Just like the original machine. Yeah. Right. So it's super exciting. It's yeah. got everything. It's uh, something that can be built upon, and it's a great investment. I know that you got the Mister nowadays, but you yeah. know, having a game a game system like the Egret Two Mini, you're still supporting the original developers, right? Yeah, so I'm all for well, it. It's definitely worthwhile as well. Yeah, the two games I'm looking forward to the most are actually coming out in. The span of seven days. Oh, yeah? Which is a bit troublesome, but I'm still really into it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's long been a game that I've wanted to play that I heard about from the PlayStation Saturn era, but I did not pick up on at the time. And that is a first-person shooter called Power Slave. What is that? And what is that about? It's a kind of fantasy-slash-Egyptian-themed first-person hmm. shooter. Um. And I had heard that as far as like a game that shows off like a lot of technical prowess, apparently the Saturn game was like pretty phenomenal for its time, you know, especially on a system that was definitely not known for delivering like great FPS experiences. Wow. Um, So the thing is, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Quake and the Doom 64 reissues for modern consoles yeah the same team that did those which is night dive studios they're the ones bringing out power slave exhumed which Uh. is going to combine features from both the playstation and saturn versions Mm -hmm. but it's gonna drop on all of the consoles on february 10th wow i want to check that out too then because yeah yeah i'm having fun to, to play this one yeah yeah. I mean, Quake's a riot. Like, there's just something, you know, different and, you know, there's just kind of a magically minimalist thing happening with a lot of the FPS games of that era that, it, you know, I think is a quality that's really been lost. And so this is a game I've never played and 
Night Dive Studios does fantastic work, so I'm really excited to check out this version of Power Slave. Mm. Um, but then seven days later, after February 10th, we all get our hands on King of Fighters 15. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Can't wait, <laughs> dude. I'll just stop the PS4 for that, baby. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, whew, like, I'm really excited for this, and I'm going to be playing this one just right from the jump, because apparently the netcode's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've been following the really long trail of trailers for this game, like, it just seems like they've really managed to absolutely nail like the kind of artistic love that went into those Neo Geo originals. Yeah. I mean, very excited about it. They did a good job promoting that game. I think that they did enough to build interest, but not oversaturate it, not, Mm -hmm. not make it so that we're getting bored with it. And they, it, it seems like, uh, it's complete like story-wise they've developed a pretty interesting story for each team the characters they chose are all interesting uh like you said Mm -hmm. it looks great uh some people that played it they said it plays great uh yeah and yeah i can't believe it's only two weeks from now by the time you hear this podcast you'll probably be able to be playing it right now so yeah, I mean, it'll be that one will be getting close. I'll have already been playing a little bit of Power Slave by the time we record the next one. Yeah. But, um, you know, those are some releases that I'm absolutely hyped for. Yeah. Uh, wh- one quick question Who's going to be yeah. your team, KOF 15? Oh, that's tough. I mean, <sighs> <laughs> I ask like, the tough questions, you know? Yeah, Mike. My- classic team on KOF 98 was Takuma, Iori, Ralph. Yeah. Um, there hasn't been any sign of Takuma or his alter ego, Mr. Karate, showing mm. up yet. But, um, I don't know, because, like, the current iteration of Ralph, like, he's just so friggin' huge. That like yeah. I don't normally play the giant ass grapplers like that. Yeah. But I did used to have like I used to love the way Ralph played in like, you know, the the OG KOF titles from like, you know, ninety-four on. Ninety eight so, definitely. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to think about that because I'd also like to try one of the new characters because they're looking pretty damn cool. Yeah, I agree. A lot to play around with. Yeah, I'll have to beat on it for a week and just see what shakes out and who I really like the feel of before I've really got a team nailed down. How about you? Uh, I'm probably going to start with Team Superheroine, which is Uh uh, Yuri, Mai, and uh, Athena. Because uh, Athena has never joined Yuri and Mai before, so that'll be pretty interesting. It's too bad they didn't reunite uh, Yuri, Mai, and King. Well, it's been done before, and that would have been my team had they kept Uh uh, the original Team Heroine or the, I don't know what they were, Team England, basically, King of Fighters 94, the original Mm -hmm. women's team. So, yeah, because I love King, Mm -hmm. but she defected the art of fighting now, so. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Will you be rolling a lot, Ed? That's all I do. <laughs> That's all I do. Roll super. Roll super. Roll, boy. <laughs> roll super. That's all I see. If there was a ticker line on the bottom of the screen, it would just say Ed roll super. Ed roll super. Ed roll super. <laughs> Uh, I love so you, at any rate, <laughs> <laughs> it has been fantastic to once again sit down and talk about some things in the world of gaming. We thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Oh God, It Hurts right here on the Ruminations Radio Network. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.